Hey, Bullers, you're listening to Bull After Bull episode 15 on Saturday, November 22nd, 2014. I'm smoking bowl after bowl. And I smoke. Bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl. And I smoke. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Spencer Pearson. And I'm Lorian Rose, now with purple hair. With purple <laughs> hair. I finally did it. It's a good look for you. Thanks. I've always wanted to have purple hair. So a lot uh, has happened since the last time uh, that we talked, that we mm-hmm. did an episode. Um, the these, Show Me Cannabis Fall Conference happened, and um, we went to that. Yeah, which that was, was just last weekend. It was really awesome. More than 500 people attended one of the events, um, and some of the speakers included Neil Franklin, the executive director of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, Ira Glasser, who was a former ACLU executive director, um, and Radley Balco from the Washington Post. Yeah, they had a really good lineup of guests. It was really great. Uh, it was a good time, as always. And uh, you know what else happened since the last show we did? Um, Alaska, Oregon, and Washington, D.C. all legalized marijuana oh, over right. the election. Uh, Florida came very close to legalizing medical marijuana. They needed uh, 60% of the vote, and they only got almost 58, 57.6. So. Still a damn good showing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, especially with a, such a heavy Republican election, you know, the, the, the people have made their voice clear that, you know, more than, you know, people like legalization initiatives more than they like politicians even. You know, the, the weed ballot questions were winning by heavier percentage than the than the candidates were winning. So it's really uh, empowering and encouraging. There's a lot of momentum right now in the movement. That's awesome. Makes me excited for 2016. Speaking of the uh, the movement, the first Columbia Normal meeting happened last Monday? Yeah, that's right, up at the KOPN offices. Uh, basically, we're trying to put together a Columbia Normal chapter or a Mid-Missouri Normal chapter. Uh, everything is in a very young stage right now. Uh, we, you know, we're not officially formed yet uh, but we're going to form the board on monday uh, if you're interested in coming and being a part of the columbia normal chapter uh we're meeting over at the evoke group um which is at 2100 west broadway at 7 p.m monday november 24th right it's that uh the same building that aw smith's office is in on the corner there of stadium and broadway so yeah if you're interested um come in there will be i think that we'll have you know We'll be deciding on board members and officers at that meeting. So if you're interested in having a leadership role or if you're interested in having a say on who has a leadership role in the Columbia Normal or, you know, just want to learn more, come check us out. We just wanted a group that was not explicitly just MU students. So we have MU Normal, and uh, that's kind of been the chapter. And I guess uh, Dan Dan Vista said that there's been a Columbia chapter that's been on and off in the past but uh we want to make sure that it's sustainable and that it goes into the future and like people that don't necessarily identify with the university can still feel like they're welcome and they can come to events and they can volunteer and be Mm -hmm. you know leadership in the group yeah that's all good um so the uh the in other cannabis news yeah the first global cannabis brand was announced and surprise surprise who it is if you want to play this little clip that i made let's let's check it out it was everything my father it was like breathing or or life to him every time he smoked he was inspired he thought the herb 
was actually a gift. Herb is a plant. I mean, herbs are good for everything. My father thought that herb is for meditation, herb is for a higher vibration, and herb is for the healing of the nation. Daddy was very mindful of the plant's connection to the earth and to the positive benefits that, that came from something that was so pure. Herb is the best thing for man right now, as I see it. Marley Natural is the name of this new global cannabis brand. And it makes sense because they don't have to establish themselves. You know, you think cannabis, you think Bob Marley. Right. Um, And they teamed up, Marley's family teamed up with a company in Washington State called Privateer Holdings to make this happen. Um, They're going to be selling more than just cannabis to you. Although the strains they're pitching are all um, some of Bob's favorite from Jamaica. Excellent. And they'll also be selling cannabis and hemp infused topicals and handcrafted accessories, which I'm assuming is going to be, you know, glass and stuff like that. Sure. Um, hopefully their products will be available in the U.S. late next year. That's the proposed date, late 2015. Um, but we'll see what happens. Very cool. Yeah, it's really exciting to see that it's going to be a global, uh, company too, you know? I mean, finally, it's not just America working on legalization. It's everyone. Everyone is pushing for cannabis. For sure. Well, and it's interesting too, uh, one of the things that they definitely talked about a lot over the, at the conference over the weekend was how, um... The whole drug war itself is an American idea. It's an American thing that we've pushed onto the globe, you know. So uh, finally people are seeing kind of where it comes from and what it what it is, and they're, they're wanting to get out from under this this prohibition, you know. No one really ever asked for outside of the, uh, outside of the states. Uh, speaking also about uh, some, you know, cannabis branding, uh, there's a couple of new cryptocurrencies that I noticed, and uh, they are kind of uh, weed-based. There's cannabis coin and there's pot coin. And I wanted to talk a little bit about those two uh, just for a second. So um, I've kind of tried to get a wallet for each of them and tried to check them out, but they're both kind of like cannabis industry coins, cannabis industry cryptocurrency. Um, For those of you who are still not on the cryptocurrency train, actually, um, we would really like you to get on it. We would really like you to try and check out a cryptocurrency. Start with Dogecoin or Bitcoin. And uh, just see what it's like. Try to uh, buy some cryptocurrency or, uh, you know, um, just just check it out and just use it. Here, uh, we're actually doing a crypto Christmas promo. I can play that for you real quick. Hello, friends and family. Spencer here. With the holiday season upon us, I've seen wish lists popping up all over social media and in conversation with friends. Now, I've never been good at thinking up Christmas gifts I'd like, so I wanted to try something different. This year, I'm launching a project I call Crypto Christmas. Instead of asking for gifts, I'm asking all of you to take some time to learn about cryptocurrency. Buy some Dogecoin or Bitcoin and see what you can spend it on. Send it to family and friends for Christmas, like a virtual gift card. Convert it into some other weird niche cryptocurrency that you take a fancy to. Or trade cryptos on the open market like stocks. If you're a business owner... You might even consider taking cryptocurrency as an alternative method of payment, giving your customers another way to purchase your goods and services. The idea behind Crypto Christmas is to get people more familiar with cryptocurrencies and learn how to use them in transactions. 
for an easy step-by-step guide on how to set up a Bitcoin or Dogecoin wallet, or to find out how you can send cryptos to the show this Christmas, just visit bullafterbull.com slash crypto Christmas. That's C-R-Y-P-T-O Christmas. I wish you a very happy holiday season, and may your bulls burn ever brighter. So there's a Christmas time commercial that will continue to annoy you with uh, uh, throughout the holiday season. But you know the main message is to just try a cryptocurrency. So bullafterbull.com slash crypto Christmas will get you started. Um, and, you know, once you are started, it's really easy with place uh, with uh, websites like Cryptsy to change what cryptocurrency you already have into others. So if you are, you know, you can buy, say, put $20 into Bitcoin one time, right? And then after that, you can use Cryptsy or other exchanges just to exchange between other cryptocurrencies. You can make your Bitcoin into Potcoin. You can take your Potcoin and buy Dogecoin. You can just flip them all back and forth, you know. Uh, so, you know, if you're, if you're really good at uh, watching and predicting markets, uh, if you're already good at playing stocks, you can play cryptocurrencies in the same way. And a lot of people have made some money that way. Um, but there's always a risk, you know, just like with with really stocks, uh, the price could go down when you thought it would go up, different things like that. So with this uh, cannabis coin and pot coin, can you only buy cannabis with them, or is this a currency that you can use for anything? It's a currency. Uh, it's a currency just like Bitcoin or Dogecoin. The, the, the theme of them, obviously, is okay. cannabis. So with cannabis coin, um, one of their big news-worthy items was that uh, – the largest dispensary in Arizona now accepts uh, cannabis coin as payment for medical marijuana. The goal with cannabis coin, which I thought was a, a cool goal, was to kind of price the coin based on a gram of, oh, cool. of medical cannabis. So they're trying to you know, establish that a cannabis coin is worth a gram. Now, uh, I tried to download their wallet, and you know, it's, it's the most complicated wallet that I've found so far in that you have to find a config file that goes with it, um, and it's not really uh, very intuitive. And right now, I'm still having trouble syncing my wallet. It's still 12 weeks behind, and it's frozen on a certain block. So, uh, you know, if, if anybody with, from Cannabis Coin happens to be listening and can help steer me right on this, I, I would love to try to use Cannabis Coin, but I can't get my wallet to sync. Potcoin, however, uh, I found to be very easy to use, much like Dogecoin and Bitcoin. Uh, you download the wallet and it's ready to go. It does everything for you. And I actually already have Potcoin. So, um, you know, if anybody wants to send Potcoin to the show, there is a link in the Crypto Christmas uh, page if you want to go to the Bull After Bull slash Crypto Christmas. Uh, but it's really cool. You asked, uh, can you buy, is it just weed? Well, um, lots of places accept Potcoin now. Um, a place called Azarius, which is. Uh, based in the Netherlands, and it's one of the largest head shops, online head shops in Europe. Uh, they take Potcoin now, uh, along with a lot of Washington State dispensaries, um, the Marijuana Retailers Association, your vaporizers. Uh, there's just a lot of different places, and you can get a full list on Potcoin.com's website of who accepts Potcoin. But I think it's a really cool cryptocurrency, and I think it's uh, nice that our movement has, you know, their own currency. Now, the goal of uh, Potcoin was to give uh, cannabis consumers in the United States an anonymous and easy way to 
uh, an anonymous currency, basically, so that we could still make transactions uh, that we might want to keep anonymous. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, you know, just a powerful step toward economic freedom. Um, and yeah, I mean, I encourage all the listeners to go out and try and get some uh, some cryptocurrency, get some pot coin. Uh, if you if you get a wallet, uh, send an email to bowlafterbowl dot uh, or I'm sorry, send an email to Spencer at bowlafterbowl dot com, and uh, I'll I'll send you a couple. I'll send you a few pot coins. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm in a capstone class right now that's been working on a project for income inequality, and I guess that this is a really good time to put in some you know shameless promotion. We're doing a symposium on December 9th at RJI, uh, which is, you know, part of the J School. It's the main building. And I would love for all of you to come out and check it out. We have tried to put together a guide for how journalists should cover income inequality. um, And we're just students. You know, we have no real way to measure income inequality with our own lives and experiences, really, um, since most of us are, you know, 20, 21 years old. Um, so come on out, give us a little bit of feedback and, um, I totally forget how I was going to bring, oh yeah, we talk about how cryptocurrency is probably going to be the future for us economically. We think that it's, uh, it, you know, it has a much better chance at surviving than the U S dollar at this point. And since things are taking a global turn, you know, we are looking at more global relations and a global economy. Yeah. I think it now's the time to start learning about cryptocurrency if you haven't already. Right. I mean, the worst thing that could happen if you put 20 bucks into Bitcoin and it doesn't really go anywhere eventually is that, you know, you're out 20 bucks. But the best thing could happen is that you get into this and learn about cryptocurrencies now before, you know, you're forced to down the road and it's, you know, becoming a whole new different thing. Um, just watching it evolve in the past year or two that I've actually had it and been spending it has been kind of incredible, you know, and just just the way the Bitcoin and Dogecoin homepage websites have evolved is kind of crazy, you know. Definitely. It's all it's all becoming way more user friendly and uh, a little bit easier to grasp because you know the concept itself and the blockchain and how it all works is incredibly confusing, and I'm not going to pretend like I know you know even the basics of it, but I do have Bitcoin, Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Potcoin. I have those currencies. I know how to spend them. I know how to receive them. And that's really uh, the point of the Crypto Christmas and all of this stuff I'm pushing is, you know, just to be aware and to teach yourself something new and to, uh, you know, this might be how we, how everyone does money in the future. And, it, you know, it's just smart to learn it as fast as you can, I think. Definitely. And for anyone interested in the um, Income Inequality Symposium I mentioned, it's on December 9th from 5 to 6.30 at uh, the Fred W. Smith Forum in the Reynolds Journalism Institute, better known as RJI, around here. Um, It's free. There's going to be refreshments. And if you don't live in Columbia and can't make it, we will be streaming online as well. Um, And you will be able to tweet in questions and interact with us. So check it out. Very nice. Um, as of November 19th, you can walk around with 25 grams or less of cannabis on you in New York City. Yeah, you might have seen that SNL skit. (laughs) Um, well, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting because I was reading an article on this, um, from Cannabis Now, and apparently in 1977, there was a measure signed by 
then-Governor Hugh Carey called the Marijuana Reform Act, uh, which stated up to 25 grams of marijuana should be handled as though it were a traffic violation punishable with a $100 fine. Um, And, of course, that's what de Blasio has said now. So, actually... Most of these arrests that have been being made shouldn't have been made because it was on law. What you're saying is de Blasio is basically telling everyone they should follow a law that's been on the books (laughs) since the 70s. Right. Exactly. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, since that law was passed in, there's been more than 600,000 arrests for simple marijuana possession in New York City. That's crazy. Which is really discouraging. Um, And also, you know... Bill de Blasio, when he was running for mayor, he talked about the importance of decriminalizing marijuana and such, but the number of arrests actually rose once he stepped into office, which is an interesting observation at the very least. Now, uh, Joan Noten from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition said, she reminds people, she's very skeptical of what de Blasio is saying, and she reminds people that this is not decriminalization. Uh, and she says, people will be summoned into a criminal court to answer to criminal charges. If you fail to appear, judges could issue arrest warrants. So, you know, this is, it's not exactly time to be rejoicing, but it is a tiny, teeny tiny baby step in the right direction towards legalization. And, you know, everything helps. Um, also, uh, de Blasio did order NYPD to terminate their buy and bust program. So if you know anyone who gets caught up in that where, you know, an undercover officer buys narcotics from them and then arrests them, uh, that's, they're not allowed to be doing that anymore. So just be, be a watchdog if you're watching NYPD at all. Um, speaking of watchdog, I guess I'll just go into my next segment. Yeah, most definitely. I was, we were over at a friend's house the other night and Spencer and I don't pay for TV, so we don't, or, you know, cable, we don't pay for cable, so we don't watch TV. Um, and our friend had her TV on and there was this commercial that popped on that caught my eye. It was for, um, this pill called Abilify or Aripreprazole is its real name. Um, and it's an antipsychotic used to treat psychiatric disorders, including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and depression. Um, now, it's the commercial said that if your antidepressants just aren't working good enough, you can add Abilify, and it, they'll do way better. An um, extra pill. It's an extra pill, right? Well, so I started, I just curiously ran a Google search on Abilify, and I found this disturbing, disturbing article um, that says... Abilify is the top-selling drug in America already, and it made $6.9 billion in sales. Um, it's also, it made the top 10 globally sold medic- medicines and is the only antidepressant slash antipsychotic on there. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, basically, it's a it's a one-pill-fits-all. If you take any antipsychotic, then it, they're saying it can go with it. Right. Exactly. Now, I went on to the Abilify website, and it shows that it's intended for children with schizophrenia, autism, and bipolar disorder. Those are extreme. It's not intended for people with simple depression. And uh, more disturbing that I found in this awesome article... Uh, that was posted on the Daily Beast called Mother's Little Antipsychotic is Worth $6.9 billion a Year. Uh, there will be a link in the show notes to this. Um, but what's more disturbing is that... 
oh yeah, the FDA doesn't even know how it works. They oh, nice. they were asked how it works and they said I don't know. And <laughs> when you look, there's a proposed theory, right? It doesn't make sense to me because I don't understand bio like medicine and whatever. Right. But there's no evidence to back up the theory. And even on the website for it, uh, the website Abilify's official website, it said that um, just like other drugs having efficacy in major depressive disorder the mechanism of action is unknown so we don't know how this works we just we just want to sell it to people with depression basically right. we don't know how, how it helps you and it manages to garner fda approval all these drugs even though we don't really know their method of action right so in like most pill commercials more than half the commercial was made up of those medical warnings and you know the final final step is uh death you know this will kill you side effects include death <laughs> yeah and the side effects that they don't say though that a lot of people i saw on youtube were reporting um is that this medicine causes psychosis hallucinations and the inability to distinguish between fantasy and reality jesus it's fucking scary so if you aren't crazy but you think you might be crazy and you would like to add a chance to be crazy just take this pill <laughs> So I have a, a clip from you. Would you like me to share that? Oh, yeah. Play this clip. My name is Andy Berman. I'm not an actor. This is not a TV commercial. I'm a former spokesman for Bristol-Myers Squibb, the makers of Abilify. On Abilify, I started to experience, one by one, all of the side effects they talk about in those TV commercials, including agitation, confusion, stiff muscles, and memory loss. I stopped taking Vilify because I didn't want to experience the final side effect, death. If you're one of the hundreds of thousands of patients who's been prescribed Vilify, ask your doctor if Vilify is wrong for you. So, Andy Berman is a former spokesman for Bristol-Myers Squibb, the uh, global biopharmaceutical company that makes Vilify. They're okay. based in New York. And, uh, you know, you can look up their Wikipedia page, but these are not good people. They have been, they had an accounting scandal, which just ended with a $150 million settlement between them and the Department of Justice and Jesus. Securities and Exchange. And in 2006, they were actually raided by the FBI for collusion regarding um, Plavix, which is a blood thinner. Yeah. And I've actually taken Plavix. It's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting note, but Plavix was the second highest selling drug the year that they colluded with it, and it made $5.9 million globally. Jesus. So globally, it was the second highest selling drug in 2006. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about Big Pharma being nothing more than, you know, a financial, you know, for financial gains, you right. know. Well, it's um, just a profit-driven uh, machine, you know. Right. And so I think that everyone should just start uh, fighting for medical freedom and pushing for cannabis legalization. Because as we know, the endocannabinoid system is literally the bridge between the body and mind. And so all of these, you know, depression, anxiety, even I would say probably these mental like, and mo emotional disorders yeah, and social disorders even. can absolutely be treated with cannabis. As you know, there are two main strains of cannabis: indicas, which are known for having sedative properties, and sativas, which are more energetic. And um, sativas are usually recommended for people with depression. 
because they can cause euphoria and you know, feelings of well-being. Sure. So I found on this website the 11 best strains for depression for anyone out there cannabis connoisseurs who are feeling a little you know seasonally depressed the strains are amnesia haze lamb's bread green crack sour diesel sweet island skunk super lemon haze juicy fruit cherry ak-47 jack herrer train wreck and super silver haze i think that's good to know because everyone battles with depression at least once or twice in their life if you know for sure even fucking happy people like myself right (laughs) and let me tell you it's been fucking cold lately and so i've been pretty sad (laughs) (laughs) that's an interesting strain list i've uh probably only tried maybe a couple of those but jack harrer was on there that's my favorite personally jack harrer is my personal favorite as well and if you want more information on any of those strains you can go to leafly or stickyguide.com they've got a great great interactive pages telling you you know what they smell like what they feel like what they taste like it's awesome awesome so yeah um i guess we can wrap it up with the uh recalled chadwick updates and sort of some local politics uh you know, uh, just bullshitting about local politics. Um, Carl Scala recently made a radio appearance, right, on uh, Gary Nolan. And uh, I've been suspecting this for quite a while, but, you know, after this radio appearance, I'm sold on the idea that Scala wants to run for mayor. And here's why. Scala's always been, Carl Scala's always been the kind of, like, liberal pro-state guy, you know, the guy that was... The first to want to ban stuff. The guy is the first to want to uh, raise taxes for something. I mean, Scala was uh, one of the main guys behind Prop 2. Uh, wanted to, you know, raise developer fees, which, you know, was a noble goal and just didn't quite go through because the taxpayers are skeptical of every kind of price increase now, which, you know, is smart. Uh, the, t- the taxpayer cry right now is not one more dime, not another dime, which I'm, I'm totally behind, you know, the... The mismanagement of funds within the city and the state and the federal levels of government have been outrageous. Uh, so anyway, here's Scala's appearance, and he's kind of changing his tone now. He's trying to appear centrist. He's trying to, you know, maybe surprise people on his views. And I think that this is all going to come down to a bid for mayor. Uh, check it out. There's now a movement afoot to prohibit the sale of, or I'm sorry, maybe not the sale of, but the use of plastic bags uh, for groceries uh, and other uh, other products. Who brought this idea to the city council? Well, I'm not sure actually what the the origin of this was. I've seen uh, a few folks dressed up in plastic bags and so on uh, at city council meetings. Um, I think there, there, there is uh, at least a perception out there that there, there is a problem with lots of plastic bag, bags floating in people's yards and, and so on, some of the lakes and all the rest of it. But uh, I, I would propose something a little bit, and I'm not sure exactly when the legislation is supposed to get to us to make some sort of a decision. I mean, I, I think it's probably not too much of a surprise uh, if I would tell you that I'm inclined uh, to do something about this problem, but uh, you may be surprised to find out that what I would like to do about this problem is uh, go to the private sector and ask them if they have some solutions as to what they might want to offer in some of their uh, various stores. There might be some novel solutions that come up and uh, alternatives um, to just some sort of an outright ban, which I think is probably not a good idea. See, now there, Scala 
saying he wants to go ask the private sector what to do is a very, uh, you know, it's, it's almost a conservative talking point. It's almost a conservative soundbite right there. Uh, and you can see right here how, you know, uh, this clip of silence and then Nolan finally jumps back in. You know, Nolan's jaw, he probably had to pick up off the floor before, uh, you know, addressing it. I'm sorry, would you repeat that? An outright ban is probably not a good idea? It's probably not a good idea, but it's... All right, all right, all right, wait a second, wait a second. Brian, hang up on this guy and give me Carl Scala. You must have the wrong As Carl This Scala. is not right. You got the wrong Carl Scala. Well, I mean, let me put it this way. If we can come up with some novel solutions that the business sector is liable to support, uh, whether it's tailor-made for individual stores or whether it's, uh, whether it's a more general uh, application for the city, I'd, I'd be inclined to at least listen to some, what some of these folks have to say uh, before trying to take some uh, uh, uninformed action about what we might do about the problem of too many plastic bags. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, doesn't that sound like, hey, maybe Scala finally gets it. Uh, I, I'm going to remain skeptical. I'm going to remain thinking, you know, that this is this sort of uh, change in attitude is uh, just solely to, you know, seem more centrist just to, uh, you know, I mean, he can't go into the next mayoral election seeing how huge of a Republican landslide the midterms were. Um, he can't go into that election being the super liberal guy, you know. Uh, here's a clip a little later on where he actually agrees with letting the market decide, which is a resounding libertarian cry. Uh, and then, you know, he does introduce his little caveat and uh, comes out as a as a liberal and sort of explains the other side of the issue. But, you know, during this entire radio process, he never does take a firm liberal stance on any of the issues. And I just thought it was very interesting. Here's the second uh, segment here. So why don't we why don't we try this novel approach? Why don't we let the marketplace decide? Well, I think that's what I suggested. But I think I, you I, did, too. I, just, I think we agree, Carl. But just as, a, as you know, let, there's a caveat to that. Because I, I don't think the marketplace can decide entirely. I mean, there's got to be some order here to the, to the whole process. I think we, we ought to go into If the council comes up with some decision uh, or some legislation, uh, it ought to be based on information uh, from the private sector, from the community, and from lots of different kinds of input. Then you can make an informed decision. I'm not sure just uh, uh, letting things ride and letting people do whatever it is that they want uh, is going to be a solution that solves the problem. So Carl, you know, doesn't want you to get it twisted. He's not for, like, total freedom and, you know, anyone can do whatever they want. But he is willing to listen to all sides and kiss anyone's baby. Uh <laughs> Now, on the wrap-up, to bring this back to the Chadwick recall, if you've never listened to Gary Nolan's show on 93.9 The Eagle, um, he's a really big proponent of the e-cig and uh, vehemently against smoking bans. Uh, he's done the research and you know kind of exposed the lies behind the whole uh, secondhand smoke scare, and he's one of the go-to guys in debates, you know, um, against people trying to tout the harms of secondhand smoke. So, uh, of course, you know, Gary Nolan has a lot of uh, beefs with Jenny Chadwick over all of her crazy uh, so-called public health policies. So uh, in the wrap-up here, Scala kind of uh, lets slip that he too has some issues with Chadwick. 
Your experience notwithstanding, Jennifer, I can imagine that San Francisco would be strange for you. Oh, yeah, I did want to uh, point that out, too. Uh, he he even makes a joke. He's like a jokester. Carl is, like, so on his A-game in this radio interview uh, that Jen Bukowski was also in studio, right? And uh, Carl just drops this brain bomb on Jen Bukowski that just r- renders her pretty much speechless. Like, I felt sorry for Jen when I, re- when I listened to this radio interview because she just has no idea what to say after Carl drops this... Uh, this strange bomb. She talked about uh, going to San Francisco, and in San Francisco, they had to charge her in a separate transaction for bags, which you know, I agree is pretty ridiculous. And that's their that's their law now. If you want bags, you have to pay for the bags, and it's like, hmm. you know, X amount per bag. And so she was just talking about that, and you know, Skull instead of responding to her uh, actual points, was just responding to the fact that she called San Francisco strange. So I will play that back again. Your experience notwithstanding, Jennifer, I can imagine that San Francisco would be strange for you. <laughs> uh, I think it was, uh, there's people that everyone would find strange just about well, in San Francisco and very I find San Francisco different. And, I don't find it strange, but I, it's different. Well, strange can be neat, too. You know? Ouch. All right, Carl Scala, thank you for stopping in. And then, you know, Dylan has to swoop in and rescue her. It's just like... Carl, how did you get on your A-game like this? Try, try, hey, I, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, try to convince your fellow city council people <laughs> to not ban anything else. Now that's the, that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's really the rub. Uh, and me trying to convince others, some of the city council of anything is, is uh, quite, a, uh, quite a task. So. Um, by the way, and I know you, you and I are probably on opposite sides on this issue, but if you could arrange... For a debate with Jenny Chadwick and me <laughs> on the e-cig, because I'm going to tell you right now, if I got to stand outside in the cold to vape, um, I might as well keep smoking. Uh, so you're. You know, gonna... This is going to be an inter- This is good. That's going to be an interesting, a very interesting issue because you know my, my my wife, of course, is on the board of health as well, and she's a public health person too. So is Jenny. On the other hand, since I'm a, a, a liberal, and I do have an on the other hand almost always, um, I do have a, I, I have some issues with Jenny. Let's put it that way. Wow. All right. Hey, Carl, thank you very much. We do appreciate you it. You Take, Come back again. Thanks, Carl. You Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Carl Scala on The Gary Nolan Show. Wow. I'm not sure what that meant, but it was very interesting to me. It was. I Wasn't was it waiting, why did you stop there? You, you're no attorney. I would have said, hey, my job, explain what you My mean? job is not to stick them to the wall. Tell me more. That's, that's what I would have said. So, you know, Jen redeems herself by jumping in there and be like, Nolan, why did you let that guy go off just that? Just, uh, I have some issues. And then you say, wow, okay, well, thanks for calling in. You know, what are the issues? And uh, I don't think that would have been pinning him against the wall. You know, I'm sure Carl would have been happy to at least say something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not I'm, – I'm wrapping my brain to remember a time when uh, Carl Scala was unwilling to talk and talk and talk about whatever. So um, it was just an interesting appearance there. And I think that Scala's running for mayor. And um, it's interesting that he, he has Chadwick issues too. Um, I did want to update you guys on the recall effort. It's going pretty smoothly. Uh, we have enough signatures now, but we want to gather, you know, a sizable amount. We now just want to stop at the, you know, the bare bones, uh, 200 and some odd, 230 some odd signatures that we need. We want to get a sizable amount. We want to say this is more than just a tiny group of people. This is, you know, 
this is a this is a majority of the first ward that wants you know someone better to represent them. Um, I believe we talked a little bit about the Douglas Park uh, event that I was planning on the last episode. Oh, well, let's just recap it just um, in case. But you know, basically one of the one of the proposals Chadwick had that a lot of people disagree with was to ban alcohol in Douglas Park. Um, you know the the argument is that. Douglas Park has been known as a as a as a place where there's a lot of crime happening and they want to try and tie this uh crime to the allowing of alcohol uh in Douglas Park. Now, the the problem with these prohibitions and the ideas like that is when you pass a law prohibiting something, you don't make that you don't make that activity stop. Prohibitions do not stop the activities they prohibit. We've seen it time and again, countless. I mean, look at the prohibition of weed. Nobody has stopped smoking weed because of prohibition. Look at alcohol. You know, it it almost ramps up and it gets more violent because, uh, you know, you you create black markets for these things when when you ban them, uh, and it gets more dangerous because there's no regulatory process on how is this made? Is it manufactured correctly? Am I getting you know what I need or am I getting some poison? You don't know. You don't know any of these things. So, in, in in the case of banning alcohol at Douglas Park, you're not going to get people to stop drinking at Douglas Park, especially the criminals. If you're if you're if you're going after crime, if your concern is crime, criminals aren't going to give a shit about the law that you passed because they're they're criminals already. Okay, they do not give shits about laws. Passing a law is not going to affect a criminal's behavior. Now, our uh, response to this terrible proposal was uh, to, you know, throw a little party in Douglas Park, a little block party, a little neighborhood picnic kind of thing, say, come on out, sign the recall petition. Uh, we had a keg donated. We had 12 bottles of wine from Top Ten Wines donated. Uh, and we were just going to go out there and, uh, you know, just exercise our right to free speech in the park. Uh, on Monday... The Parks and Rec Association saw my Facebook event page and commented that I would need a special use permit. So on Tuesday, the very, the, you know, early Tuesday, I went in to the office and filled out that application in person. Um, you know, double check with them. Do I have everything? Is this all I need? They said, yes, you know, we'll get back to you. Uh, Wednesday came and went. I didn't hear anything. So Thursday I went back in because I'm like, it's getting close. I need to hear uh, when I went to Parks and Rec Thursday, I spoke with a woman there who told me that she had looked at my application and that it was uh, basically good to go, that they would give me the approval Friday. And I said, do I need anything else? She said, no, I'll just come in tomorrow and we'll give you that uh, final approval. So I go in on Friday morning and she says, yeah, we're ready to approve it. All we need is um, proof of a $1 million uh, general liability and liquor liability insurance policy with the city of Columbia named as co-insured on the policy. Now, a $1 million liability policy, an insurance policy, is not something you can get with a snap of a finger. It's not something you can get overnight. It's something that takes time. Uh, and I believe they knew this, and I believe that that's why they waited till the 11th hour to even tell me I needed one, which I think is, you know, a little bit underhanded. And, uh, you know, at the time I thought they're totally trying to just make it so I can't have this event. Um, 
But I did my best. I called around to different, you know, local agencies. My uh, my guy at AAA told me he couldn't do it, but he, you know, gave me some business cards and said, "Here, call these people." Uh, the the first company that I worked with, I I gave them all the details about uh, my event, and one of the things that we had planned was to have a few uh, uh, bands perform. You know, we had a couple folk bands and then a, some local rappers that wanted to do some hip hop performances, right? So. Uh, give them all the information, all the details about my event, and the underwriter rejected the event on the sole basis of hip hop music being planned to be played there. Just hip hop, not the alcohol, not the Douglas Park, not that I'm, you know, not making sure are you going to card? Is there minors there? No, the the reason that they rejected it was because of hip hop music playing. And immediately I asked, is this racially motivated? Like, wh- why? Why just hip hop music? Why is that your concern? Why is that the only thing that makes you refuse? She said, no, 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 it's not racially motivated. It's just because of the types of people that go to hip-hop concerts. And, you know, what, what, what are you supposed to – what, what, what does that mean? What are you supposed to make out of that? So, you know, there's already the stigma of, you know, these kids are trying to make a difference in their community and make their voices heard. And, you know, hip-hop is one of the – most accessible ways to do that, to get on a microphone, to write some words, to send a message out, you know? And, uh, you know, the fact that you can't even get an event going at the the local park because of hip-hop music is absolutely offensive to me, personally. And I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who agree. So, you know, to make a long story even longer, uh, didn't get the insurance that day. I was forced to postpone the event, uh, but uh, my good friend Mike Hagen and I went up to Douglas Park anyway that day um, on November 8th, that Saturday. Uh, he drove to my house and then got out, and we were planning to walk up to Douglas Park together. So as I'm uh, sitting on my porch waiting for Mike to arrive, <clears throat> I see him pull up. He gets out of his truck, and he points up the street, and he says, how long has that guy been in there? And he's pointing to a CPD uh, SUV. It's parked across the street, you know, like two houses down. And I didn't, you know, I didn't even see him there, but I kind of looked and I was like, oh, you know, like we were joking around like, oh, he's probably, you know, watching us. <laughs> he's probably checking to see what we're doing. And uh, I didn't really think anything of it. You know, I was just kind of saying that in jest. Well, we step inside my house just to grab my coat. Less than a minute we're in here. By the time we stepped out, he had already left. So we thought that was kind of creepy and weird, um, but we just went up to Douglas Park. We didn't have our keg. We didn't have our bottles of wine. We just had, uh, you know, like a six-pack Mike had in a cooler, and he had handed out some beers, and we met the people of the park, you know, the regulars, the real Douglas Park people, uh, you know, had some beers with them. Mike grabbed some more beers. We had, you know, we had a few beers. We had, like, I had, like, two beers, you know. Uh, There's a little bit of local media out talking about, you know, why is it postponed? What did you have to go through? All this kind of thing. And um, we collected a few signatures there, but no one stopped us. No one said anything. No one said you can't be in the park. And uh, it, it's it's drawing an interesting question here of where is the line? How many beers do I have to bring to Douglas Park before I need a special use permit? How many people can I invite to Douglas Park before I need a special use permit? Now, I never invited the public to my event a single time the the most public i ever got was making the facebook page 
and I invited it specifically to people who were already interested in our recall drive. Uh, to me, that's not the public. To me, uh, you know, in my in my scope of the definition, I don't see that as inviting the whole public. I never made a press release. I never talked to press beforehand, um, and I know, you know, I never made a public invite. So, at, at what point do I need a million dollar uh, insurance policy just to hold this event? And uh, that's a, you know, just to have grassroots activism and just uh, uh, man on the street activism be stifled because it's so cost prohibitive uh we finally did get a quote on the insurance policy and it's going to cost us a thousand dollars it's going to cost us a thousand dollars to give away alcohol in, in douglas park and try and have this event and you know i can't ask people to give more than they've given you know i've i've already got this keg donated which costs a lot of money i've got these bottles of wine that cost money you know and i can't ask extra of all these people you know at, at some point there's a breaking point where it's like i don't know anyone with a thousand dollars sitting around i don't i don't have a thousand dollars myself just sitting around to buy insurance so how how exactly is just a normal regular person supposed to have an event and supposed to you know exercise their right to free speech in the, in a in a public park um so then you know a recent interesting development on all of that uh, Aaron Mallon is the Show Me Cannabis Research Director. Uh, he recently obtained about was it two hundred? It was two hundred seven different emails yep. uh, over one month in time that Jenny had sent to various people, and among those emails was one that she had sent to City Manager Mike Mathis. And I'm reading it uh, direct quote here: "Are we having fun yet?" With a little smiley face. I hear there's a party in Douglas Park next weekend with free alcohol to collect signatures for my recall. Got a voicemail from Sam Brady who informed me there is opposition to efforts planning to be there. May want to have police presence in case. Let's discuss plan. So in light of reading that, and that was sent on November 2nd, and this was before the city had even contacted me. This was before Parks and Rec had contacted me on my Facebook page. So all of this ball could have been started rolling just with this email. Mm -hmm. And then it's clear, you know, she doesn't want to discuss the whole plan via email. She's aware that her emails are subject to sunshine law so they're conspiring in secret to try and figure out a plan to to shut this event down to shut my event down uh, and the police presence there the police that were sitting out staking out my house for this uh free speech protest event uh you know could directly right here in this email we have evidence that you know jenny can direct has directly called for that so this is just getting out of hand, out of control. Um, we are going to keep going up to Douglas Park just, uh, you know, every once in a while, just as just as people using the park. Uh, we're not throwing any events anymore, I guess. You know, it's indefinitely, unless somebody drops me off a thousand bucks in a mailbox mm -hmm. or cuts me a check for a thousand bucks, which, you know, feel free to do that and, you know, contact me, email me, spencer at bullafterbull.com. Uh, you know, look up the Facebook, find me on Facebook. Uh, tweet at Spencer W. Pearson. Get a hold of me somehow. You give me that thousand dollars. Send me a thousand dollars with a Bitcoin, whatever, and we'll do it. We'll get that insurance bot. But you know, without a thousand bucks, I'm um, I'm kind of looking at not being able to have this event. And this event, you know, right now has to be postponed indefinitely. Um, but we're gonna go up there anyway to Douglas Park, and you know, we're gonna see where you know, we wanna we wanna answer where is this line? Where is the 
magical realm where it becomes uh, you need a million dollars of insurance where, you know, a few beers ago you didn't need insurance at all. Uh, these are questions that haven't been asked uh, answered to satisfaction, and, you know, a large part of it is because uh, Jenny Chadwick isn't interested in reaching out and answering any questions. Uh, if you take a look at the rest of the emails and the email dump, you know, she's constantly turning down uh, requests for just simple interviews for J-School kids to finish a class project, which, you know, is a simple one email answer or a, or a two-minute phone call. Um, but, you know, it's it's clear that she is not – she's no longer pandering to her constituents. Right. Uh, I mean, she said on Facebook in a comment that she wasn't going to answer to angry constituents, which, uh, last time I checked, answering to the constituents is your job, since you represent the constituents. Absolutely. I think that it kind of is best summed up in a post that she made this morning on Facebook. Uh, She shared a little photo of Barack Obama, and Jenny says, uh, quote, I was just thinking about who I strive to be as an elected official and how I am treated by the community. I ain't got nothing on this man. Stand up, Democrats, for a man we can be so proud of who is brave, willing to represent us and get things done. We need to stand together to accomplish great things and not attack each other. Like, are you joking me? And the and the and the photo is of Obama here, and he's you know grinning with the blurry. It looks like Asian military behind him. So I'm not sure where this picture was taken, but uh, of course, you know, it's posted by Andy Borowitz. Uh, who says, thought for the week, for all the hating on Obama, we now have health insurance for millions who were not covered, a climate deal with China, an immigration plan that will keep millions of families together, and and if only, oh, I'm sorry, and if only all presidents could fail like that. Uh, you know, the, all Obama has left are these talking points. And yeah, if you buy into these talking points at face value uh you know they're 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 just lies it's just all lies you know and you can say a thing a hundred times in the news media doesn't make it any more or less true when you start actually digging down looking at the facts looking at what has been done in this administration by barack obama you know as a savvy politician i don't think that you would want to be identifying with him right now but you know we've learned that jenny chadwick is anything but a savvy politician uh, and she's just uh, she's just on a on a mission to pad her resume and you know to go on to another public health job. Um, now, when you came back from Douglas Park that Saturday with Mike, you told filled me in on some pretty valuable conversations you had with uh, the people at the park. And one of the topics that came up was uh, the Columbia Housing Authority which recently publicly proposed a policy that would ban residents from smoking in public housing. And you said that some of the residents were at Douglas Park, and they said it was a little bit different than that, right? What, the the tobacco ban? Yeah, they said, didn't they tell you? What I was told from people there was that, uh, you know, people who live in the projects right now have already got notices that... uh, as of March, you know, some date in March, like I think maybe March 1st or something, but uh, starting in March, they will no longer be allowed to have – they will no longer be allowed to smoke in their own home. They will no longer be allowed to burn incense in their own home. They will no longer be allowed to have an ashtray or have ash or anything that produces ashes or they risk getting kicked out of their of their living quarters, of their home. 
and this uh, this notion that you know we need uh, to help out the poor uh, is a good notion, but it's not a good notion if you're saying as a condition of our help we want to tell you how to live your life, we want to control what you can do in your own home, all of that kind of shit. You know, if you're gonna help the poor, help the poor. All of this, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who say, I don't give money to the homeless because they're just going to spend it on booze, you know? Well, the fuck were you going to spend it on? Are you, were you not going to buy booze ever? Like, it's just so, uh, it's this, this double thing of, you know, wanting to help someone, but then wanting to dictate how that help is actually carried out. You know, if you're going to give someone money, you just give them money and, you know, if you're not going to give someone money, what are you going to do with them? How are you going to help them for real? And I think giving somebody a place to stay and then telling them how they're going to live in that place is is ridiculous. You know, it's, it's adding extra laws. Now, I can understand you don't want to give someone a place if they're going to destroy the property. You don't want to give someone a place if they're going to, uh, you know, set up an illegal uh, business or something, you know. Uh, if they're going to start, you know, committing crimes. But smoking in your own home is not a crime. They're just adding these extra crimes to things that aren't crime. And they're uh, making more criminals out of this process. And, you know, I mean, imagine you if you're a poor person, probably been through a lot of shit, you know. And, uh, to, and nicotine intake is one way to relax, to relieve stress. Um... You know, there's no reason to believe that it makes you a worse person. Uh, and, you know, the logic behind the smoking ban and the projects is just, it just escapes me. Well, I just thought it was interesting because local media has been reporting on the Columbia Housing Authority's uh, smoking ban. And the Housing Authority has said that this is only a draft and that residents and the Resident Advisory Board will have a chance to review and, you know, help craft it into policy. So I don't understand why residents have already received notice that they won't be allowed to smoke if this is only a proposal. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if it's set in stone or not but you know talking to people who actually live in these places apparently uh, it is it's been it's been posted as a notice on the bulletin board you know that you know after march you're not smoking in your place which is just ridiculous you know it's just a it's just another erosion of our rights that and i'd like to mention that if one journalist from local media had just gone to the public housing where this ban has been proposed and talked to someone they would have found out that this isn't just a proposal. We've actually received notice that we won't be able to smoke. Right. I think that uh, one thing that disappoints me a little bit about journalists, uh, and especially, you know, you got you got a lot of student journalists running around in this town, and um, a disappointing thing is they seem to prefer official sources, government sources. Um, you know, they want to talk to the mayor and then they want to talk to the head of CPA and they want to talk to the head of CPD. Well, those people are paid to tell you a certain thing and give you a certain slant. And as a good reporter, you should go to the people affected and get their angle as well. You should talk to these people living in the projects, you know, and, you know, maybe that's a little bit intimidating from, for most kids perspective who are going to MU who are upper middle class, you know, and have not been exposed to a lot of poverty or, you know, poor people, maybe, you know, and the, this idea has been pounded into our heads since we were little kids throughout the media that poor people are, you know, scary and dangerous. But, 
if you just reach out as a human being to others, you'll find more often than not that they will talk to you, you know? They want to talk to you. And uh, to, you know? to tell those stories, especially the stories that never get told, is so much more important than, than to just get the sound bite that you can get any time from the CPA. You already could – you could – guess what they're going to say in a quote when, right before you call them you know what they're going to say you know it's in the press release that you're copying and pasting like it's all there go and get the story from the ground from the grassroots from the streets you know ask the people who it affects what their opinion is because those are the stories that are just too often they go untold absolutely so yeah uh we're gonna do a little bit more research into that cigarette ban and uh of course, we'll keep you updated on Recall Chadwick. If you haven't yet signed the Recall Chadwick petition and you live in the first ward in Columbia, reach out to us, send us an email, find us on Facebook, tweet us. Uh, we'd love to get your signature on there. We'd love to have your support in that. And, Lorian, did you have anything else to add today? No. Uh, just a reminder, though, that the Mid-Missouri slash Columbia Normal group will be meeting next Monday at 7 p.m. at the Evoke Group on West Broadway. So please come out and join us. We'd love to meet new people and get more people involved in the movement to legalize cannabis. Very nice. And uh, we've also decided that we want to try and start as regularly as we can doing a podcast every Friday. Uh, tonight we were a little late on that, but I was kind of glad because of a lot of things developing in the in the Jenny Chadwick uh, story kind of popped off last night and this morning. But uh, uh, we want to we want to regularly do it every Friday. Um, we also got a new guest mic set up, so we can have Lauren and I on each on our own mic and a guest mic. So uh, if you'd like to hear a, a guest in town, or if you think anybody would be a good idea, drop us a line, Spencer at bullafterbull dot com. It's my email address, and we'd be happy to look into getting a guest for you. Uh, one of our next guests that we're looking to get is Aaron Mallon. We mentioned him earlier. He's the director of research for Show Me Cannabis. And we want to do a whole episode on how to submit a sunshine request because anyone can do it. Uh, you don't have to be part of a group. You don't have to be some politician uh, to get information about you know your government. It's public information. It's it's publicly available, and it's supposed to be publicly available. So uh, we're going to have him on as a guest in the future talking about – and hopefully this Friday – talking about uh, how to submit a sunshine request. So uh, look forward to that. And, uh, you know, look forward to seeing us here every Friday. And, yeah, may your bowls burn ever brighter. <laughs>